0: okay all righty um it's all right all right good morning if you uh, didn't pick up a uh, little handout it would be important though just because uh, we have pictures on there and although although one of the pictures is uh well anyways yeah today uh we're gonna we're kind of we're gonna finish the intro and enter into chapter one uh for next week if if you could read chapter two also, that would probably be best um but yeah, selfies mirrors and the first commandment. this is kind of what we'll talk about today. Just a little review though idols are mirrors, icons are windows, and we're gonna talk you know kind of parse that out a little bit more today. Um, But then last week, we talked about how idols demand certainty without any questioning, but faith has doubt and questioning within it. And before we get on to the pictures, uh, the, the biblical text that we read in chapel was Mark chapter 9, and if we could turn to that, that would be helpful. But just to kind of frame our mind, though, a little bit from last week, we read from Mark Did I say Mark 9? Mark 12. Sorry, Mark 12. Turn to Mark 12. But I want to talk a little bit about Mark 9. The father who had the son who had a mute demon. And the father said to Jesus, if you are able, have compassion. And Jesus says, if I'm able. Kind of like, are you kidding me? I'm the freaking son of God. Of course I can do this. I, I think he meant to say it that way, though. Jesus and Mark is is like a lion. He's ferocious. In fact, I could have brought out my uh, we could have brought out my little puppet from Passer Chats. I have a little lion that lives in a box. His name's Mark. Um. Anyways, uh. So uh. So Jesus might have said it that way. Uh. If he was you know 21st century American. No. Uh, So Jesus says, you know, if I'm able, of course I'm able, and uh, all things are possible for those who believe. And the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. And that scenario, Mark chapter 9, kind of helps set us this understanding that Jesus, well, of course, then Jesus says, you don't have enough faith, I'm not going to do anything for you, right? No, I mean, immediately he heals the, the boy, and for all intents and purposes, everything just keeps on moving for the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the disciples. So what we see in, in this, that Mark chapter 9 is that this notion of kind of doubt, like kind of questioning, unknowing, this whole kind of scenario is part of just simply our relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that just kind of explains a little bit more from Acts chapter 20 when Moses goes into the darkness where God was. Now, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And this just goes along with the questioning aspect. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we kind of breeze through things without kind of slowing down. We're going to read Mark first and then go back to Matthew. Uh, Well, to show you what I mean. So one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he ans- Jesus answered them well, he asked him. All right, so first of all, scenario, Jesus and the Sadducees, and then there's probably some uh, Pharisees also in the crowd and Herodians, it's kind of like a big old, I don't know, face off. And so the, the scenario is one of dialogue and questioning, back and forth, arguing Okay, and that's important as we understand our relationship with God and how to kind of attack idols, okay? So the man seeing this debate go on and understand that Jesus answered them well, that means good. Uh, I think well is the English way of saying it, but the word from Greek is like good. So he, uh, he, he answers them in a good way. You know, so the man a- asks him a question. Now, many of us will read this through the Gospel of Matthew. and the same scenario in the Gospel of Matthew, the man asks Jesus a question to, to test him, to tempt him. So in Matthew, this man is trying to get Jesus to be like him, and Mark, there's no scenario like that. You're reading into the text if you presume the worst out of this man. Okay? This man, seeing what's going on, sees that Jesus kind of knows what he's talking about, knows more than him, and then subsequently asks a real question. So you have this questioning going on. Okay, Now, the question itself, though, is which commandment is the most important of all? Which, of course... If, uh, if you got through chapter 1, we realize it's the first commandment, all right? So he's asking one of relationship to God. He's asking about the commandments, but you have to read through that and see that this is really about who God is and his place in front of him, so relationship. Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And that, that's pretty important right there. And when Jesus saw that he answered, wisely, that's important, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one, uh, or after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So that's actually really important at the last bit. Okay? Um, So before we get to that, though, so let's break this down a little bit. So the man asks a question about relationship before God. And then what would define this relationship? And I ask the early Eucharist class all the time. Find the two words that are in the two commandments. What's the L word that's the same in both? And it's love. Love God, love neighbor. And that, that is really important. We're going to talk more about that next week, though. But this is kind of setting the frame, because next week we probably won't leave this passage either, as we kind of parse it out. But um, so... This relationship is one of love, but in this relationship of love, there is a, um, you know, your whole self. I mean, you could say it that way. You know, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. All of you is loving God. Now, what that means, though, is that you can't keep anything back. All right? And that's important. So we'll just leave that there. You can't keep anything back. And then also with the neighbor, that's the same thing. So that love defines your relationship to neighbor. love your neighbor as yourself, which we'll talk about in two weeks, does not mean making your neighbor like yourself. It actually means the exact opposite. OK, now th- but then, uh, you know, the man's like in awe of Jesus, and was like, "Yeah, that's right. Holy smokes. Um, Because Jesus didn't talk about the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. He talked about this kind of understanding of love, which goes back then to Exodus chapter 20, Mount Sinai, that whole scenario that we had been talking the last couple weeks. And then, of course, points towards, not to jump across a gospel, but John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Okay. Anyways, so the, the, this is, is something very important because at this time, r- kind of religios- re- religiosity in terms of the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, rather than being a means of grace, have become a means or the ends to itself, which has turned into idolatry. That's That's kind of what the man's talking about there. All right, but then, of course, Jesus says, he answered wisely, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And that's very important. So you get this right. You, you, get, you get the kingdom of God. And that's not just a locatedness, but it's also relationship. So when you're in the in kingdom of God, you are a citizen of the king. You have this relationship with this king. You're in right standing. It's the whole nine yards. Okay? But, um... So that all starts, though, with this whole scenario of questioning, not knowing everything, I need to learn more, I'm not, uh, so as I approach God, there's a fundamental kind of position of, I don't know everything. Okay. So even though, okay, so let's take a look at the pictures now. Okay, from uh, uh, page 7, a little quote there. I became convinced that Americans had... Holy thrown themselves before two golden calves. Calves that, like the original one described in Exodus 32, 1 through 7, were nothing but bright reflectors, showing us back to ourselves. Now, if you take a look at that image, this is like a series of photographs by some artist. What what do we notice about the image? Is it another lady? Or is it... Yourself, younger. Her idealized self is what I call it. I think all right, that's real important because, uh, as we talk about idols being mirrors, some of you might say, "Well, when I look in the mirror, all I see is, you know, someone I don't want to look at, right? <laughs> someone who's more wrinkly than, you know, you were, and all the whole nine yards, right?" Um, that, that is true, and that that um, so the, when you look in the mirror, though, part of that is like what are you actually seeing, okay? And if you see yourself as who what you truly are, then you realize, "I need a lot of help," which then uh, instantaneously takes you away from yourself and looking out yourself. okay? That's kind of the goal where we would like to get to. But oftentimes when we look in the mirror, we actually don't see ourselves as we truly are, but we see something a little bit nicer than what we really to see. So we, we kind of lie to ourselves and convince I see it. I'm looking at the mirror and I see a All right, now let's take a look at this, though. So, she, yeah, so she's saying I, when I look away from the mirror, that's when I see beautiful things like Farrah Fawcett. Who's Farrah Fawcett again? She's the Charlie's Angel lady, right? Okay. All right. All right. All right. I got it. I got it. <laughs> hey, hey! whoa, Whoa! 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 <laughs> now the re- Okay. So I see this mirror, and I I I know that it's maybe maybe most people aren't convinced by that image. Um, let's go to Facebook. Um, I know some of you might not have it, but this is metaphoric when we talk about Facebook. People, So let's talk about, it's an idealized reflection of who you are. It's not actually not truly who you are that you put yourself on Facebook. Um, uh, what, what do our pictures look like? I know I, when I used to have Facebook, I had a really ugly picture of myself. No, I had a nice picture of myself. And to be honest, it wasn't realistic. I had like sunglasses, you know. It was like cool, it was funny, but that's, that, I wanted people to see that, not who I really was. Yeah, so there's even more to this now, though, because when you list things about the movies, for instance, or the books, for those who might not have ever seen Facebook, you get to list kind of stuff you like, stuff about you. But you put all the books that you want people to know that you've read, but you don't put the books that you've read, but you don't want people to know that you've read on that list. <laughs> Same with the movies. Think about all the movies, awful movies that you've seen. And you really just don't want people to know that you've actually seen them. Well, you don't put those on either. So, I mean, Facebook is metaphoric on how we portray ourselves to other people. But the only reason why we do that, though, is because when we look in the mirror, that's kind of what we're convincing ourselves who we really are. All right, so that image of the mirror, while at first reaction, is kind of like, yeah, hey, that's unrealistic. That's not what I see when I look in the mirror. Yeah, it is, actually. You, uh, you, you, When you look into the mirror, there's part of you that says, you know, I look better than I really do. And I'm going to make sure that people know that side of me rather than my real self or my true self. Okay. So... This is what idols do though, is that idols reflect back something that is not really true, but we've convinced ourselves that's better than us. So that we can see that and we can say, Oh, this is nice. Aren't you know, I'm doing okay. Or if we were to use the mirror image, I'm pretty good looking. Okay? so mirrors tell us of a lie and i think in the chapter 1 she br- she brings out some things about oh well, i think i might quote it later okay anyway, okay so that's the kind of the first image about idols and mirrors is that when you look at an idol it reflects back you but actually it's not you as you but an idealized you and that's why you love looking at it okay and that's the golden calf So to, to explain how the golden calf relates to this, we, we kind of talked about this last week, is that the golden calf, uh, they weren't worshipping uh, a golden statue of a, of a cow, but they actually said, this is the God or the gods who brought you out of Egypt. So they're, they're making claims of the one true God putting on something that they have now created. They have created this, is, this looks great. It's so shiny. It's wonderful. It, it's it's, it's a, an idealized picture. That's actually not true. But what are they saying of it? It's, it, it they're saying of the truth. Like they're taking, hey, the God that brought us out of Egypt, that's him right there. So they kind of got the story half right, right? I mean, there, there was a God that brought them out of Egypt, that it wasn't unto themselves that did it, But they're simply, very subtly and diabolically, they're looking back at themselves in a mirror. Okay? I know that's a lot to kind of figure out, but you think about it. It works out. All right, so now the next thing, though. The next picture is, well, it's James Franco, but it doesn't matter if it's James Franco or not. Yeah, yeah, uh, selfies, you know, there was a big deal about the selfies making it into the dictionary this last year, right? It's a new entry into the Webster or whatever, Oxford dictionary. Selfie. 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 Take it out a picture of yourself. You know? Yeah, selfies. You know, you usually see the arm or the shoulder. And then he just takes three or four pictures before you get it right, you know. You know everyone. What's that? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, President Obama and it was at Nelson Mandela's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They did a selfie, you know. All right. So uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not here to argue against selfies or anything. Uh, but this image right here, though, this selfie is taken in a what? It's in a mirror, okay? So this is something that's very interesting for me theologically and, and kind of philosophically. As you look at this picture, you're actually not seeing the person, but you're seeing the reflection of the person. And so basically this is, you're trapped by this image. So the quote is from cha- uh, page 9. Well, there's, there's two quotes here from 7 and 9. Um, if, we created, if God created humankind in his image, we humans have a tendency to create gods in our image. Or perhaps more correct, correctly, we humans create gods so reflective and shiny they keep, keep us looking at ourselves. The covenant between God and humanity cannot grow and survive if our strange self-reflective idols are placed between ourselves and him. So th- this, whole, this whole point is that there's this picture going on here. It's a picture of a reflection. So, the more you look at it, the more you reflect upon itself. I mean, there's a, there's this, you're, you're trapped within this image. Okay? And this is another function of idols, is that the more you look at it, the more you're, you're trapped by this, this image, you're trapped by this gaze, or your gaze is, is fixed. So the idols have a circular worldview where, where no matter how long or hard you look at the idol, you can't get out of the picture. It's completely encased. So idols are prisons that demand you to remain obedient and not ask any questions about what's out there. Because they're afraid if you look out there, you will see what? The real thing. Truth. Truth. Because they're really intent on a lie. Well, yeah, I mean, frankly, idols don't like other idols either. So, you know, you might just change one. And then, we, you know, in the intro, I think she says that very nicely, that once we smash one idol, you know, 10 other idols pop up in its place. you know, so there's this constant... So uh, when I talk about idols as mirrors, these are kind of the two kind of scenarios that I'm talking about, is that when you look into a mirror, you don't really see what's truly there. It's an idealized understanding. And because it's an idealized thing, you know, why would we look elsewhere? Because it makes me feel good. I get to see this younger self of me or whatever. How we would say it in Lutheranese is that I see myself as a, Good person, doing good works, and earning my salvation. Okay, but now the second image with uh, the selfie. Which I mean, a lot more can be said about the selfie. I think is just so interesting. Um, is that uh, the more you look at it, you just you keep looking back and forth at yourself. I mean, it literally. It's it's this this scenario. You're trapped. I don't know, if you've ever seen, uh, I don't know, I, in, in uh, my mother-in-law's downstairs bathroom, my son, when he needs to go to the bathroom, there's a mirror, and then there's like, a li- like little side, like mirrors. I don't know how to say it. I'm not describing it. What is it? Wall of mirrors. And you can kind of look, if you look kind of in the side, you can see more reflections of yourself <laughs> that just go all the way down. That is exactly what a selfie is. The more you look at it, the more you you just see more of yourself. And what's funny is that um, to a certain point, you kind of go away from this uh, scenario. You can just see little, little bits of it, more and more. But I mean, you can't infinitely see it. But every time we're there, we always try to see farther down the line. But we're—I mean—but the thing is, we're just still looking at ourselves, though. I mean, it's just a fascinating thing, where you, you, you try your best to see more. You're just moving over it a little bit, but you're not really seeing more. You're seeing the same thing. So, um, I—I always—I always think about that too when we go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit odd, but yeah. Well, what—what what, what can I say? There you go. It's a very, it's a very nice bathroom. Just, I mean. OK, but um, all right, so now the next picture on the back of your, your piece of paper, though, is, uh, you know, OK, so by the way, how I got these, these pictures. I uh, typed in Google images, uh, person looking in a mirror. And then this one popped up. I'm like, it's perfect. Click. Uh, oh, then the other one was selfie. And uh, the James Franco, because James Franco is a big selfie guy, I guess. This actually was a meme. Is that what you call it, right? The meme? But I cut out all the words and stuff, because. Anyways. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it would just support what I was saying. All right, so the next one, though, is I I typed in uh, person looking out a window. This is fascinating, though, because I couldn't find anybody looking out a window where I could see the person's face. There was very few. It was always from behind or, like, to the side. But this one was really helpful. Uh, Not to get too much on a tangent, but if anybody's interested in French film, which I'm sure we all are, Robert Brisson, uh, arguably the greatest French director ever, even better than uh, some people, Jean-Luc Godard or whatever his name is, but Robert Besson, who is a Christian, he uses Windows a lot in his uh, movies. It's, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. So, check it out. Diary of the Country Priest uh, is used a lot. That's another one. Um, okay, anyways. Okay. Check it out. All right, so uh, okay. So, a quote from uh, Ted. We're so comfortable with our idols and so convinced that they are built on entirely correct ideas that we have stopped wondering at anything and therefore are comprehend- comprehending almost nothing. Now, what in the world does this quote have to do with windows? All right, windows and you, as you look at this image, as you interact with the man in the picture, you can only spend so much time with him before what? you begin to question or wonder about what he is looking at. All right, this is a great thing. This, this kind of mimics Mark chapter 12, okay? The, the more this guy is looking at Jesus and hearing him talk about this arguing, this disputing with one another, the man finally asks a question about Jesus and who? The relationship to the Heavenly Father. So if we take a look at this, we think about this pictorially. Jesus is, you know, kind of disputing with these people, and then the man asks a question about Jesus' relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that relationship is one of kind of basically, you know, standing in front of each other. First commandment stuff, right? That goes back to what we had talked about before, is that when God says you should have no other gods beside me, he means before me. He means, so we want this... This, this relationship of looking at one another. God looking at us, we looking at God, and nothing in between. Because what comes in between, of course, is an idol. So the man sees Jesus and it says, well, what, what's the most important commandment? And what does Jesus say? Jesus draws, through the usage of love, the man's gaze away from himself, but towards God and then neighbor. Okay, so the window is an important thing because as we interact with those who might be looking through windows or looking through icons or however you want to say it, there will come a point in time where we actually want to, we'll, we'll be drawn by their gaze towards, away, well, first of all, away from them and then towards the thing that they're looking at. And rather than being trapped by the gaze, like the, the selfie, we're actually released from it into something something out there, we don't know what it is. Or maybe we just have a trace of what it is. And that's what's kind of fun about the picture here is because we see in the window, we see something, right? I mean, it looks like a city street, I don't know what it is, an awning maybe, some people. But the only way we'll know what he's looking at is by what? What are you looking at? You have to actually ask him. You have to have relationship with him. And so this is very important for us, because when we look in the mirror, we have relationship with ourselves exclusively. We are trapped in prison. And even so much so that we'll talk, and I think in, in two weeks, is that when we approach another person as ourselves with an idol, the only way we can see that person is if we make that person what? Into our image. And we bring this person into this kind of warped prison. But as you look through the window, you say to the person, what are you looking at? And the person says, well, I'm looking at that. And immediately, I mean, we have relationship with this person, but it's based on this thing, this other thing. And of course, as we talk about scripture and the Heavenly Father and the the Son and the Holy Spirit, we find out this person's looking at God. And then we are directed into that same gaze. Karn. Uh, to, to... You gotta say it again. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. That's exactly right, and well, and that's the whole point is that as you look into the mirror, this um, this idolatry that's happening, is is not. Well, again, yeah, you are looking at yourself, but yourself though is is literally all that you see. And you know, I mean, people. I mean, there's a lot of, like, ways that we kind of vernacularly say this. You know, you the person can't see past his own nose or, you know, the whole line. I mean, kind of this, we kind of throw these idioms out. But um, it's, it's more to that. It's all-encompassing. So, Gerby. morning and I'm tired and I'm like, oh, boy, that's down. That's right. Uh, actually, so this is. Now, what I, if you think about it, that's because you're focused on those things, right there. Right. It's not that effective stuff. So if you really look through the window, beyond yourself. That's right. You're, you're always going to be in the picture of God. That's right. You're there, but you're looking beyond to something better than this. Right. Um, and this is, this is very important because the line between kind of this icon-idol relationship is so thin. It's hard to get to. In fact, um, just to kind of jump down, we'll have to go back up there. But going back, uh, I said a few words from the large catechism on the first commandment. Uh, a god means that from which we are to expect all good and to which we are to take refuge in all distress. So, well. Okay, yeah. So that to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe in him from the whole heart. As I often said, that the confidence and faith of the heart alone makes both God and idol. And, and the reason why Martin Luther is talking about this is because there's this really strange line. And that's a great example, is that as you re- or uh, go on the train, especially if it's dark in the morning, it's a lot easier to see yourself in the, in the window. Um... No. Well, OK, so but yeah, well, this is, this is just right. So the um, oh, well, here, I think, do I, do I bring this in here? OK, so uh, I, well, I think I took it out so I could get it into two pages. All right, so um, looking through the window is a bit scary because there's only a trace of something out there. That's, that's in the image above. Um, again, we're, we're kind of on the outside looking in. Um, this will lead to doubt, questioning, but as you spend more time of it, it will open up to more. To, okay, so to really see, you need to wrestle with who you are. Okay, so the, the whole point is that as you interact with this guy, and then you eventually say... Well, what are you looking at? He's gonna, he's gonna direct your gaze away from yourself. And you have to actually allow, I mean you have to allow that to happen. I mean you have to confess that. And in that confession, then that's where you move beyond kind of the mirror into the window, into what's out there. But part of that is to say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what I'm looking at yet. That's about what you believe, what you do, and, and even in this, there is something that's still real, and that's you. So this is, this is something that, that is really kind of, uh, as you look through the window, to a certain part, the, uh, we actually, I think I bring it up at the end here, is that this is, this is crucifixion language. Because you're letting go of the thing you like to see the most, that's yourself, and you're opening it up to something that you're, that you're not the center of. of. Okay? I mean, that, that's the definition of love though, right? I mean, because if you love in order to bring yourself some sort of happiness or joy, then you're using that person. And of course, we all love to be used, right? Unfortunately, some of us do, right? And that's part of the idolatry bit. I think that's in chapter five or six. But, Holly. No. This is very important. That's right. Yeah, we uh, actually, uh, this would be a great women's uh, Bible study outing, I think. Uh first of all, did have you heard did you see that movie? Uh it's called Her, right? It's it's Her, it's a it's a it's a movie about a man who falls in love with his computer or or computer program. Yeah, but he but but uh how it happens is there's uh three questions I think. What's your relationship with your mother? I can't remember. Like what's your favorite color or something like that and then and then, yeah, this woman's voice pops up. And the more that he talks to the computer, the more this relationship blossoms. But of course, I mean, this is a real interesting thing, because why? It's, it's, it's him. Yeah, he's, he's creating this identity of this, this woman. And it, it, uh, while it's, it's very interesting, there is, I mean, just from the, the trailers, the, the movie trailers, there's a bit of a, a tr- you know tragedy in the whole bit. However, I mean it was so interesting. It's so easy to get. I mean, it, even as you watch this uh, uh, movie trailer, I mean your heart actually kind of gets incorporated into this. You could say, oh, that's interesting that this man, you know, really has these feelings, and you kind of feel bad for him. So you, you get sucked into this thing. I mean, it, it's it's fascinating. But of course this is only a, this is symptomatic of of, all, of what's happening of course in Facebook the idealized picture that we like to show uh now, of course I haven't seen the movie so I mean there might be some point where he realizes that you know he's just loving himself but it's not in the movie trailer it's something else but um uh but but more than that too though is that um he uh, you know he, he he loves you know he he loves this. He actually says you know I've never felt this way about anybody. <laughs> All right, okay. But as we interact with like the internet, especially it's 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 uh, I forgot what it's called user driven. So like, you click on certain stories, and those same type of stories will be put on top of the headlines. So what happens is you become so drawn in on yourself that there's no, I mean, you, I mean it's, it's, an, it's an idealized world. It's an idolized world. There's nothing out there to question. So I mean, that's why people only watch. I mean, but this gets played out all the time. I mean, back in the day, if you, uh, you know, I mean, nobody reads newspapers, but in the Chicago area, if you were a Democrat, you read what paper? The t- yeah, the Sun-Times. And if you're a Republican, you would read the Trib. Okay, because why? Well, I could trust the Trib. I can't trust the <laughs> Sun-Times. <laughs> so, I mean, but this gets played out just, I mean, so it, this is nothing new. It just, it's become more extreme, and it's become a lot more, uh, I would say, more obvious. However, like as she says in the book, it becomes so much part of us that then we don't even see it. And we're content with it. Not just content, but maybe even love it. I've never felt this way. Um, but what, see, what, what's interesting about that is, is, is what we'll do. It, so this character, he's a tragic character, first off. I mean, kind of why is he even put this, compute, like, this program on his... And I, I think it's born out of, like, divorce or... I think there's something that's happened in a previous relationship. So which makes it all the more kind of sad. Yeah, right. He for all over the world. He says and say, oh, you're crazy, but they, they say, we view our computers as and, and he had help companies, like that little Clippy Microsoft, he a Clippy that would go, yeah, right. you know, and people hated Clippy, because they were never providing the right information, so he helped Microsoft, they redesigned Clippy, so Clippy would essentially agree with you, like, yeah, isn't Microsoft annoying? Mm-hmm. And then people go, yes, it, it <laughs> is. Tell me all about it. And then they, and, and so the people, and he said they did all these experiments <laughs> where people, if, the, if, it, if it, so you could make it, people would say, that's ridiculous. I know my computer's not a person. And yet they would react to their computer uh-huh. as if they were dealing with a person. right? Yep. And, and he said it was astounding when <laughs> he started to figure out, you give me a minute. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. you think your computer is, you, is a person or a person? Or you like you say every person? Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> uh, You know, I mean, so it, it's okay, good. This is great. What was the name of the book? I think it was called The Man on the Sifted's Computer First Life. We should all check that book out. I think oh, that sounds I'll wonderful. He was a fascinating person. Yes. Sadly, he just died of a heart attack. But he was like, he went all over the United All yeah. over the world. All the company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, You know, this is interesting, because I, uh, Robert Brisson, remember that guy, you should check his movies out. Uh, The other one is, uh, because I read a lot of children's books now, The Tale of Despero. Now, there was a movie, I've never seen the movie, so kind of the opposite of what normally happens. Uh, I've only read the book. Tale of Despero is a, uh, kind of a, you know, I don't know, young, young adult. I don't know. It, it, I, I, for me, I mean, I read it, and I enjoyed it. I didn't find it beneath me. I, I felt actually kind of enrapturing. In, in, in but it, do, it, it has this side of, um, it's a story about light and dark. But there's a rat. So there's a mouse named Despero who lives on top in the light. And then you have the rat named Rascuro, or Kyriscuro, but he just goes by Rascuro. And he lives in the dark. But he loves the light. But he loves it in order to, like, use it or manipulate it. he, he it's a kind of a, a warped love for it. But he has this mentor, mentor rat to say, "Hey, we're, well, he uh, lives in the dark in the prison underneath this castle." Takes place. okay. And this mentor tells him, "This is who you are. You are a rat. You'll never be anything else but a rat." This is what you need to do. You need to cause pain and suffering. But how you do that is by getting people to trust you. You tell them what they want to hear. If they want their sins, if they want to confess their sins, you hear their confession. If If they want to have some glimmer of hope, you provide it. But then at the end, you crush them by telling them you cannot forgive their sins and that they are stuck in a prison. I mean, it it is such a, I mean, it's horrible, but it's so truthful about what an idol is. So Riscuro gets this man, and this man, hook, line, and sinker, falls into Riscuro's trap, confesses his sins, tells him what he loves, only for Riscuro to steal it and to, to basically admonish the man to tell him he's a terrible person. And he's good for nothing. I mean, it's an awful scene. But the reality is, is this guy actually walks into this just, I mean, he, he wants this. He, 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 he's completely manipulated. But it's not coercive. It's completely by choice. I mean, it's so interesting. So as, you know, I mean, so this whole point is, is that what Kirby's bringing it up is, is that we, we walk into these idols... Uh, wholeheartedly. I mean, and and that's something that we we have to be really concerned about because we mix our agreement with them with the truth. Oh, this sounds so good. It's got to be true. And that's why I've been really stressing questioning and doubt. and, And it's because if you, I mean, if you read the narrative of the scriptures, questioning and doubt is just part of the people of God. I mean, this is just normal stuff. It's the point where people stop asking questions or are forced to stop asking questions where idols just pop up. Okay. Um, all right, so the uh, it's kind of like yeah. well oh yeah, there's um, yeah, exactly. Well explain more. What uh, for uh, which part are you talking about? Well just how if you have a how okay now this is where the sky is and this guy is everything now use that. You know? Oh yeah, right. Yep. Okay, so in Chapter 1, where does she, again, she, well, I've already kind of revealed it earlier, so might as well, um, all this starts from a misunderstanding of what love is. I can't remember which page that I was on, but um, as you read Chapter 1, you realize where all this is stemming from a misunderstanding of what love is which goes along with what Barb just said, is that you get people to think that this is what love is, and rather than you know, opening up to the one true God, you open up yourself to an idol. And, and you can see that being played out through the rest of the book. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's, uh, well. did call it Moonstruck? Moon? Yes, oh yeah, so good. Yeah, she, po- she pulled out this scene from Moonstruck, which I have never seen. Again, Farrah Fawcett might be in it. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, it's Cher. Okay, I think I know Cher. I'm just teasing. No, but that—that—that's a great scene, though. Is, um, uh, well, yeah. I mean, you guys can read it. We're, we're going to talk and talk about that more later. Next week, we're going to talk about love and kind of how um, love is, uh, uh, well, I'm going to keep using the windows, is, is that love actually looks out through something. Now, the one interesting thing about the window, just to bring it back to the window bit, because love reminded me of this, is uh, the, the wind, what, uh, if you were to really look at a window, what would you see, though? I mean, just just looking at window looking at, the window, looking at the window, just the window. Literally speaking, what would you see? Well, what, what, Carol? I'm presuming a clear window, not a dirty window, not a translucent. Yeah, so the window. You don't see anything, right? I mean, you, the window, a window as a window is, is you. you literally are looking. You have, you look through it, okay? And that's important for us because if you, as you love, as God loves, uh, it, it, it's 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 unto something else. It's 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 through something, to some, you know to God or to the neighbor. So that so it's kind of a nothing, just kind of a strange thing of kind of understanding it. But um, this goes back to that faith bit too. Is that faith as faith is 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 kind of nothing? Faith is a window. Because faith adheres to the Word of God, looks towards Jesus, receives the gifts itself. But faith as a thing is like a window. Meaning that if you meditate on faith, that means kind of this trusting relationship, not the content, not the stuff, which we talked about last week. You, you are always are looking through faith towards Christ, mainly Christ crucified. I mean, that, that's kind of the starting point, the penultimate thing. So... Um, Anyways, so love is kind of this understanding, too, though, is that you're you're looking through uh, uh, something else, this kind of nothing. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week and how strange that is for us because I really love when love returns back to me. For a lot of us, it's manipulation and coercion. So, Carol. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, the window. The when you could. I mean, there's there, yeah. The more you. Exactly. The more the more you stress the window, the fun things you will see, or you know understand. But at the same time, you know, eventually it's all going to break down, and so, don't be too literal on the mirror and the window bit. So, but I, it's fun to think about, though, because it's really applicable on how we understand who God is and our relationship to him. Holly. Well, yeah, right. Put in. Yeah, the stained glass is like kind of yeah. typical, yeah. typical real stained glass. Let's put it that way. But, you know, that, this is actually really uh, important because uh, most people understand stained glass is kind of like, oh, hey, people don't know how to read. They look at the glass. And that, that's one side of the stained glass. But if we, if we kind of think about as windows, as windows are, and this goes along with what Carol just said, is that the light that comes in is not a natural light, meaning, it, you know, just uh, like a lightness, the opposite of dark but that light actually is is telling a story so that light is caught up in the story of Jesus so as you look at that stained glass you're not really looking at the stained glass you're looking through the stained glass to Jesus who you know what's out there god jesus and so stained glass kind of functions, theologically speaking, like icons. Uh, uh, As Eastern Orthodox kind of use icons. And and that's actually uh, what I would say is kind of our Lutheran theology. You know, we don't see icons in Lutheran churches a lot. But we see a lot of stained glass. Well, the theology of stained glass is very, very close to the theology of icons. So the light that comes in... It's not simply the opposite of dark but the light that comes in is the light of the light, the light of Christ. Oh so Holly points to the to the image on the front of the book. There you go. Yeah, if you still haven't read the back of the that, 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 that little whatchamacallit at the back, I, it's not an epilogue. It's kind of like, I guess maybe it's an epilogue. I don't know what it is, but it's an explanation of the the, the cover, you know. There you go. Kind of goes back to, I did not put that together until Holly just said that, so that's neat. Okay, so let's let's kind of break this down then because um, looking through windows and being reflective versus looking at mirrors and seeing a reflection, uh, I, the plan words is too enticing to give up for me. So So what happens when you look at the crucifixion? And again, when I say look, uh, not only literal as you as a look at a crucifix, but Um, believing, understanding, how you kind of, this whole nine yards, in terms of faith and trusting. When you look at the crucifixion, of course, you're not looking at yourself anymore. But the only way to really understand the crucifixion is to uh, participate in the crucifixion. Now, that might seem kind of strange, because Jesus died for me. However... In Romans chapter six, in all baptismal, uh, or all baptisms, in our baptismal rite, the, the 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 person who's baptized participates in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, that's that's important for us. So uh, we want to keep the objective reality: Jesus died two thousand years ago. That's absolutely true. But for us, and the benefits of that death and resurrection. Are applied to us not in an uh, abstract way, but in a participatory way. Case in point. Uh, there's a story. A uh, guy runs up to the church. You know It's on a Sunday. It's, uh, it's really cold out, knocks on the door. pastor comes out. You know everyone's gone. pastors is around. He says, "Oh man, pastor, uh, you, need, you need to help this family. They, uh, they're They're going to be late on their rent." Um, and even though it's been one day, the landlord's going to kick them out unless they don't pay today. The pastor's like, oh, no problem. Okay, good. All right, great. You know, uh, I'll, I got the offering right here. I'll just take the money out of the offering. Great, excellent. Um, now, now, how do you know this family? Well, I'm the landlord. Okay, so, so there's this understanding that this man believes he, p- this, these people should be helped. He believes that they should not be left on the street and cold. But did he really believe it? No, right? Because if he really did, then what? He would. Yeah, he I mean, he would extend their stay, he would pay for their I mean, the whole nine yards. So there's this great thing is that as we believe so as we look at the crucifixion, we can say we believe in the crucifixion, but the only way we will actually experience or believe insofar as uh, it, it changes who we are, or it saves us. How we can we talk about? Is when we participate in this. But in order for that to happen, what do we have to do? We actually have to, we have to die. Now again, you know, there's there's, there's the spiritual, there's the theological, you know. So and uh, yeah, I, these last two points here, I should probably flip them. So the crucifixion means the loss of the very thing you believe will make you complete. So you, that mirror that you love to look at, you have to smash it or you have to look through it. But that's very, that's, that's scary for us. Because, and I'm assuming like this movie, uh, Her, this man really believes that he is he's, he, he, he's, he's receiving life by loving himself. Um, but looking at the crucifixion is rather a window into God's love and the very character of God, So, which we'll, we'll look at the next week. So we have to be set free from this mirror. So as we look at the crucifixion, we experience our own, our own brokenness too, which is kind of scary. We get to see our real self. So that mirror, uh, rather than see an idealized self, we actually see our real self. And by seeing our real self, then, that, that's, that's this moment where, as Kirby said, she, you know, she's riding along on the train, whoop, you know, I want to look out into you know, the beautiful Chicago landscape and all of a sudden, smack-bam, I'm looking at myself and the fact that I still got a pimple on my nose. At that moment, though, when you realize that, you you, you look through it, then, I mean, you say, Ooh, I don't. I don't want to see this anymore. Jesus helps us see, uh, helps us see through it, or helps us be set free from that by participating in the crucifixion and then rising into this new life in resurrection. But what's great about this this resurrection bit is related to kind of then how we kind of keep living. And uh, brokenness at a family dinner. I think um, so. Let's say uh, your loved one died. And it's the next Christmas, you know, without this loved one. Does anyone kind of keep quiet, you know, to talk about it? Because you know what, I, I don't think I can handle it. Or, do you actually bring it out? Do you talk about this at this family dinner? Which one, which one are you? Which one are you kind of? Which one's more freeing, and which one's more debilitating, or? or yeah, I would say I would say to talk about it, because you're you're out in the open. Your brokenness is out. Now the thing is though is that that person doesn't come back. I mean the thing that really makes it okay doesn't happen, but because of the hope of the resurrection, you're able to live then with this loss or this brokenness. But that brokenness is really who you are. This is kind of so this is the interesting thing about this, what we fear the most as we look in the mirror, you know, this kind of ugly self of us, our sinful selves. As we, um, as we acknowledge what it really is, through the death and resurrection, we're able to then kind of look through that. But at the same time, you know, we're still, we're still damn sinners. So it's this this confession. So as we we see our brokenness, we confess it. And when I say confess it, I mean not only our sins, but the, the reality that this is who we are. But at the same time, though, we're able then to begin to look through that, through the resurrection, into the love of God, the life of God, eternal life, eternal good. And that's why there's this quote from Martin Luther, For to have God, it's the last one, last paragraph, you can easily perceive is not to lay hold of him with our hands or put him in a bag or to lock him up in a chest, but to apprehend him means when the heart lays hold of him and clings to him. But to cling to him with the heart is nothing else than to trust him entirely rather than yourself. For this reason, he wishes to turn us away from everything else that exists outside of him, and to draw us to himself, namely because he is the only eternal good. And the reason why I highlighted eternal good is that as we, you know, look towards God or look through the window, we'll have this kind of infinite amount of space to explore who God is, his love for us. And then by exploring these two things, we'll also have infinite time and space to then explore our relationship with one, one another. Again, right, because as, as we look at the person who's looking that way, we say, what are you looking at? Oh, okay. And then you move along together in this, this whole relationship. But this relationship with one another, loving your neighbor as yourself, at the same time acknowledges our brokenness, and the hope that we have in the resurrection and how we, we, we don't fear it. We don't fear this brokenness because we're all in the same boat. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinner. We stand at the feet of Jesus Christ crucified, and through that, we enter into the resurrection, our new life together. So, uh, all right. Has anyone seen that movie, by the way, though? The, the Her movie? OK. Anyone ever? What's that? I, I'm very... Oh, OK. There you go. Donna. We have time. My neighbors you're talking about Yeah. My neighbors said that last year, they went to community and they went picnic to celebrate Nana's yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, how, uh, uh, did anyone grow up going to the the cemetery every day, you know every Sunday after church? Anybody ever do that? Did your grandmother What's that? My grandmother did it. Your grandma did it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah you do it. Too. Yeah, right. Um, I only did it when I went to my grandpa and grandma's church out in the country because the cemetery was you know out the back. Um. Well, yeah, some people would say respect, but I I think it was a confession of your relationship with that person who still still. Well, again, there's a whole another theology behind this. Is that uh, first of all, I think it's a very, it's a great way to, to handle grief. Is that you 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 uh, acknowledge this person's death, but at the same time, um, you, you're moving on with life in this new relationship with this person. Because, you know, old churches, and this is kind of tangential to what we're talking about, but the idea is that um, the old cemeteries would be behind the altar, behind the church. There's a church uh, on Count, Highway Z in Wausau, Wisconsin called St. John Lutheran Church. Um, and we go out to our grandmas, grandpa and grandmas, my, well, my grandmas now, and there are cemeteries behind the altar because that is where the the saints live. They live behind the altar back there. So you go to church, and after church you, you know, you say hi to mom or grandpa or whatever, and you take care of their grave, and um, because you, you had that relationship through the Lord's Supper. Anyways, th- but that's a whole other idea about, but I mean the whole acknowledgement, that, that's all I was getting at, is that you, you you try not to pretend. It's not like you just forget that person and pretend that, you know, that, I mean, you think about it that way, it's awful, right? I'm going to pretend that this person never existed. <laughs> it's terrible. I have a old German pastor once who gave a description of the altar. It was a church with a cemetery behind it, too, where they went regularly uh-huh. to be with the people. Yeah, right. But he also spoke of the altar of how all the past- pastors and saints and everyone are, in a sense, buried beneath this altar, so we should... Oh yeah, right. Joy of, of, uh, every time they got or something, they made a big, a big ceremony type thing of all the past pastors. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That have at this, uh, That's exactly right. Yep. And I mean and you get to see that though sometimes to the extreme and probably kind of dangerously is is that, you know, you have to have a little relic in the old <laughs> altar for the Roman Catholic faith. But you know, that all that can be taken that can be understood rightly in terms of this connection between the past and the present so and they kind the, of stood out the past ceremony take Yeah, right. Every year to celebrate all the kind of, of that particular sure. All right. Let's get out of here. Family Olympics tonight. I'm I'm gonna be wearing my sweatbands and my knee pads. <laughs> Just kidding, I won't be. I don't even want to see that, my, my short shorts. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.